Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Just the verse in 1 Peter going through my mind as I hear my brothers and sisters praising the Lord as if something already happened, as if something's already done, as if something's finished that we're not waiting for and hoping happens has already happened and it's the risen Jesus Christ who stands to intercede for each one of you standing at the right hand of his Father, living a hope, not wishful hope, a real hope that is getting you through life. And your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, will obtain for you the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we come together and we rejoice and we praise over the Savior whom we love, though we have not seen, though we do not see now. And we give him our heart because he's living in us and welling up in us the hope, the living hope that is alive now today, that the world does not have and desperately needs bend our knees now ask God to be with us and ask him to be with our world that does desperately need him Abba Father our God you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us no greater love does anyone have than this than to lay down his life for his friends and Jesus called us friends Father you tell us that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world that there's no one who is excluded from this that anyone who believes can receive this free gift of eternal life but God if they reject it they're lost in darkness forever and God is willing that no man should perish but all come to repentance and the enemy has done a good job twisting things making people hate your good news being deceived by the devil who's been tricky and crafty ever since the beginning maybe even someone here right now like Jesus said the crows come and and take away the seed that immediately it falls on their mind they don't listen to it because the enemy is snatching the good news away from them Father I pray that your word would be exalted that you would remind us of the victory that we have in Jesus this morning and you'd be with each and every one of us and especially for the person who may not have received it yet or maybe for the brother and sister feeling like they're going to give up you'd encourage their hearts this morning thank you so much for who you are and thank you for your son Jesus I pray this all in his name amen all right you may be seated kids it's good to have you with us this morning you have that green piece of paper and you have some questions on it and I will try my best to speak a little bit slowly. So if you have things that you want to pick up on, if there's words you don't know, you write those things down, ask your parents and they'll help you stay involved with this pretty awesome passage we're going to be in. Actually, I would say this passage, probably the most exciting passage of scripture, most exciting, most culminating, most climactic passage of scripture, talking about the victory we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 15, take your Bible. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to finish our series called Resurrection Matters. We're going to talk about the matters of the resurrection, but hopefully you've seen so far that the resurrection does matter. So much so that Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are of most people, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why is that? Because those who would devote their life to Jesus Christ are giving up a life in the world. You're shunning and turning away from what the world says is fun, great, good, pleasurable, and you're seeking Jesus. And and that following Jesus like it did for the disciples led to almost all of their death and suffering and pain. And Paul said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead and this is not true, then why am I doing what I'm doing? So he goes through 1 Corinthians 15 and he gives them reasons to hold fast Our last message of this series is called Hold Fast. 
our first message was called Hold Fast. Remember I showed you that video of Alex Honnold free climbing, free soloing on the mountainside, showing us an example of what holding fast looks to, that the, the mountain and his grip and his feet holding on to something which was keeping him safe and to let go meant certain death. Well, he begins the passage telling them to hold fast. He ends telling them to hold fast. And Paul's goal can be found in the first few verses and the very last verse. Look at this with me. Paul's goal, look at verses one through four. Let me remind you this. Look what Paul says as he starts the beginning of 15. He says, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. That's what we're holding fast to, the gospel. He said, I want to remind you which you received, right? You heard it, you received it, you believed it. In which you stand right now, you're standing in it currently, Believing, still believing. Then he says this, and by which you are being saved. The thing that is saving you is the gospel. It is your faith in the gospel that is saving you, not your works. Works cannot save. We're gonna learn today, flesh and blood cannot save you or inherit the kingdom of God. It is your faith based on the genuine, true work of Jesus Christ that saves you. But he says this, by which you are being saved, and then he gives us the word if. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, to the gospel. And then he says this, unless you believed in vain. Meaning this, unless life turns out that as life goes on and it manifests for you that your faith was not genuine because something came into your life that was able to make you let go and stop holding fast and to stop believing. Now, drop down to verse 58. So those are the first few verses. He shows right off the beginning, I don't want your faith to be in vain. He defines what the gospel is. Christ died for our sins. They buried and that he rose from the dead and the whole meat rest of the passage, almost 50 something verses is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's what they were tempting to let, being tempted to let go of, the resurrection. Didn't really happen. Jesus, the resurrection in general doesn't happen. If you don't believe in resurrection and you don't believe in the complete gospel, then your, your faith is in vain is what he's saying. Now the very last verse, look at it. Therefore, he said all of chapter 15 to accomplish this in the mind of the Corinthians, and ergo in the mind of those at Summit, all of us today, that this would be the goal. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You see his goal? You see what he's trying to accomplish? I want you to not give up. I want you to hold fast. I don't want you to give up on this gospel that you're standing in, that is saving you, and that will bring you to the end. Don't let go of it. Hold fast. You'll see here, kind of in, the next, uh, in this next slide, you'll see these, uh, uh, these quotes. Hold fast to the gospel. Be steadfast and movable. There's the, uh, the pieces of bread. I'm gonna give you the, the bread of the sandwich. Todd gave you all the meat in the sandwich and it's been great so far. It's been the best sandwich I've ever had. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So today, here's what I want us to talk about. What letting go of the gospel means. Letting go of the gospel means letting go of something. Before we get into these points, I want you to think about something. What, what, what causes people who claim at one point in their life to follow Jesus to give up? Does the Bible say anything about that? Well, Jesus does. He talks about the four soils. He talks about uh, three soils that are lost. One never believes the word. As soon as they hear it, the seeds fall on their mind and the birds come and they pluck it away. That's Satan snatching the word away. And so that's the type of person who would like, maybe, maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you, every time you hear me talk about Jesus or bring up anything in the Bible, there's just something inside you that just makes you psh, 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 The word never takes root, right? It's never able to, 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 to breach the hardness of your heart because the enemy's snatching it away. But there's two other soils. There's the soil that, that uh, the, the seed fell on rocky ground and uh, it, it started to grow initially and it was received with joy. You know, Paul says to Corinthians, you received it. They received it with joy. 
But then as time went on, the roots were not deep and the sun beat down on the rocky soil and then it withered away because, and Jesus helps us know that the sun represents the suffering and the trials of life. People give up on Jesus who once followed him because life gets hard, so they give up. Then there's the other one that's planted among thorns. The thorns grow up and it chokes it and they give up because something else in life is more precious to them than the the, the word they initially received and the thorns represent the cares of the world. So the two reasons someone would give up on their faith would be life's either too hard or life looks too good. I do not want to be as gullible and, and presumptuous or, or, or make assumptions that all of us here are just good. Never struggle with the trials of life and the cares of the world. That we're holding fast to the vine, we're abiding and we're remaining him and we're never going to let go. You know, when someone does let go, you wonder like, man, I wish they would have talked to me. I wish, how did they get to this place? When someone lets go of the gospel because of those two reasons, it's because there's months, years of deterioration in their mind and they never tell anyone. Just trying to deal with it by themselves. All the while a wrestling in their heart, man, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I want to let go. I want to let go. I want to go there. I want that. I want this that looks so much better than this right now. I want that, right? And so time and time and time goes, where are you at? Someone in here struggling with life right now? Someone here looking at the other side of the fence, thinking it's greener? Maybe you holding on by a pinky. And maybe you feel like you're about to let go. I'm speaking directly to you this morning. The word is speaking directly to you. Paul's goal is he doesn't want you to let go. And he's trying to give you every wonderful reason why. Maybe you're here and you're strong. You're holding on strong. Maybe, maybe, you know, pride comes before the fall. Maybe you think you'll never be that person. I want you to pay attention you shouldn't assume that you'll never be, be beat up by the cares and the struggles of life. That you'll never doubt your faith or come to a place where you're letting go of Jesus, being tempted to pay attention as well. And I want to bolster your faith to hold fast to the gospel to see some awesome reasons, awesome realities of what you would be letting go of. If you let go, you'll be letting go of these things that Paul is going to tell us. You ready? Here we go. Letting go of the gospel, first of all, means letting go of the only way to heaven. Verse 50 of 15, look what he says. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So he's telling you something that's indicative that is absolutely true. Flesh and blood, what? Our physical bodies as they are, as we're born into this world in a fallen state, in iniquity, the psalmist says, I was conceived. That, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That is just true. That is why those who are lost in darkness will never on their own through their flesh and blood power ever be able to get to where God is. And when he says here the kingdom of God, he wants us to be thinking about the dwelling place of God. We should be thinking about heaven. Letting go of the gospel means letting go of the only way to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the father where he is except through me. Let me tell you a little bit about heaven. In Psalm 16, do you know how heaven is described? The psalmist understood this very clearly. While suffering in life, he looked up and he kept his eyes on the summit where where God is. And he said, in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Go to anyone on planet earth and see, look at their life and you will see every bit of effort Every bit of energy is being poured into trying to find joy and pleasure. Where does the scripture say you find that? In the presence of God. Which means here on earth, you only get a taste. Only get a taste of joy and pleasure. 
And the pleasures that abound in our heart and the world are deceptive pleasures. They're wicked pleasures. But we've been able to, in a little bit, get a taste of it. We want more of it. We want the fullness of it, right? I don't know anyone who has lived a life getting everything that they want, denying God, and at the end of their life, not regretted it or faced death with great fear. Because there's no hope there. Let go of the gospel. You're letting go of the only way to heaven where there is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. You will not find that on earth. You will find that in heaven. And flesh and blood cannot inherit that. How else does he describe flesh and blood? He says the perishable. What is he talking about? Your body. Your body is wasting away, isn't it? It's dying. Every single day as we get older and older and older, the reminders, the effects of sin on our life that yes, indeed, we immediately died spiritually and our bodies spend close to 70 to 80 years on average trying to stay alive, but ultimately being overcome by this thing called death that we cannot thwart. You let go of the gospel, you're letting go of the only way to heaven. Something true, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Perishable can't inherit the imperishable. You know what else it makes me think of? John 3. John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is trying to understand spiritual things, and Jesus says, you must be born again. What does this mean? You can't go back into your mother's room. No, 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 no. That which is of the flesh, born of the flesh, is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And the spirit, like the wind, goes where it wants to go. You must be born again if you want to inherit the kingdom of God. The reality is, if you want to go to heaven, flesh and blood can't do it. You have to be changed. You have to be born of the spirit. God has to do a work and he has to give you a new body that can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Which brings us to our next point. If you let go of the gospel, brother, Christian, struggling, cares of the world, struggles of life, I know it. If you let go though, what are you going to turn back to? You're going to let go of Jesus and go to what? Don't let the enemy deceive you. There's suffering in life regardless if you're following Jesus or not. In this life, you'll have trouble. Let go of Jesus and you get propelled into what? A perfect life full with all the money you want, all the health you want, everything? No, you let go of Jesus and you go into a life filled with misery and pain and no hope and the pain that you experience won't have any purpose to it. But to follow Jesus, Jesus said in this life you'll have trouble but take heart, I've overcome the world. You hold fast to Jesus. You don't let go because if you let go of him, you're letting go of the only way to be changed. Look what he says, Nick. The only way and hope of being changed. Making the assumption you want something more than what you're living in. Look what he says next. Verse 15, I mean, chapter 15, verse 51. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. This is where it gets to the good news. Like this is where he's answering the big question that like Todd introduced. How are the dead raised? With what body do they come? And Paul's like, you foolish person. You don't need to understand it mathematically, scientifically. You just need to try. God knows what he's doing. He's gonna change us. But we need him to do it because we have no ability to go from perishable to imperishable, from mortal to immortality. We have no strength. He can do it though. You know, last week, you know, Todd had a little bit of fun. He also uh, admitted the struggles of living in this body. I'm going to show you 2 Corinthians 5 here in just a second that, that really Paul gives us the, what it feels like to live in what he calls this earthly tent. Groanings, right? You know, Todd, I'm sorry that you're almost 5'10", Todd. As I was listening to him complain <laughs> about almost being 5'10", I-, I noticed the measurement he used. 
He measured in quarters. He said, I'm five, nine, is this right? And three quarters. And you know what I realized in that moment? I'm like, wow, he's so tall that he's comfortable using quarters. <laughs> Ask me how tall I am. I'm five, six and nine sixteenths. And so I'm going to round up, 5'7". Uh, I, I wouldn't even be afraid to say that I'm 5'6 and 17, 30 seconds if I needed to. Um, but let me, let me for, for those short people out there, I think we've got it made. You know what I'm saying? We've got it made. Gravity's going to be, a, a, you know, it's going to make us shorter, but hey, we're already that short. Um, but we got, we're not going to go as far. The rain hits us last. But, but, but here's the most, I think, I think what tall people are missing out on, and, and I guarantee you've never thought of this, because you lost the wonder of being a child. When you were a child, you could, you could sit down on just about any seat and swing your feet. I still get to experience that. There are even some toilets out there if you're tall, you got to go to a roller coaster to be invigorated with that sense of childlike wonder. I get to experience it several times a day. Now, what type of body are we going to have? It, I don't know, but it's going to be better. And we're not going to be complaining. We're not going to be using quarters or sixteenths measurements. We're going to get a new body, and it's going to be better than anything we experienced here. It's not going to be littered with complaints. That's the point. God in his grace did not eradicate us when he sinned, but he allowed mankind to experience the, the uh, effects of sin so we would not fall completely in love with our own way. It is a gracious thing for God to let us experience, man, I don't like doing things my own way. I don't like the results of my way. I don't like the results of sin, doing things that are different than God's way falling short of his standard has only introduced complaint after complaint after suffering after suffering, misery, lack of joy constantly over and over and over. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. I want to show you a few, a, few cha- a few verses. As we think about this idea of letting go of the gospel means letting go of the only hope of being changed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look how Paul describes being here on earth, thinking about his heavenly dwelling. Maybe even the, uh, the uh, title in your Bible even says heavenly dwelling or heavenly home. Paul says this, for we know in verse five, uh, chapter five, verse one, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, our earthly bodies is destroyed, we have a building, building better than tent. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan. Amen? If we, could hear the, if we could hear everyone's heart right now, just in the state of life, of where you're at, you would hear pray. You would hear your, this, if we took the spirit away and we just listened to the heart cry of the flesh, I believe it would be groaning. It would fill this room with sounds of misery. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, Right? If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. It's not that the body is bad. It's that the body's messed up and it needs to be changed. It needs to be better. We need more. And God's gonna give that to us so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home in the Lord, but whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Our time here on earth has purpose, that whole purpose, the goal and the aim of every Christian should be waking up in the morning saying, my aim is to please my heavenly father in every interaction, in everything I do. That is the, 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 uh, the swallowed up, impact and desire of my heart. But we know we struggle with that. It's a fight for that. Why? Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. First Corinthians 15, Paul says this, and remind you of this, where we're at. Behold, I tell you a mystery, mystery meaning it's, it's not fully known. You don't have to understand the, the uh, inner workings of it. You, you just look up and through a telescope and you see Saturn with its rings hanging in space and you trust that God knows how to change things and create things and make things. Behold, I tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep. What does that mean? We're not all going to die physically. I'm going to explain that. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. What is Paul talking about here? When he wrote this to the Corinthians, they didn't have knowledge of when Jesus was going to come back. But they knew he was coming back. And they knew of the parousia the rapture of the church, the being called up. They knew that there would be a time when Jesus comes back and the dead and Christ would raise first. And then those who are alive and remain, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter four, would be called up together with them, those who died before us in the Lord, and we would meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. Changed. All be changed. So, so as you're ruminating and maybe thinking, man, how can, we, how can we die, our physical bodies die and, then, and be just scattered back into dust? How does God bring it all back together again? Todd did a good job talking about like, well, why do you get lost at sea and your body gets spread? Like we're thinking in a human way. It's no problem for God. God is going to change everyone. You're gonna be given a new body, but it's not gonna be like the old one. You let go of the gospel, you're letting go of the only hope of being changed both physically and spiritually. To die in your sins means nothing changes for you. Means you die and then you spend forever separated from the only one who can make you live and you spend eternity dying. Those who go to hell get what they want. Don't want God. I want to be separated from you. The reality is being separated from God naturally leads to death. So an eternity of separation from God means eternity of death. But those who want to be with God, who accept the gospel, who receive it, stand in it, and hold fast to it, and never let go of it, are promised eternal life. Because he's the only one who can give life. He gives you life here and now on planet earth. He quickens your spirit by his spirit, and the spirit dwells in you as a guarantee that you have waiting for you a building from God. Pretty good reason not to give up. You let go of that. What are you going to grab on to? Philippians chapter three, turn there with me. Can't say the word rapture without everyone's mind going all over the place. Bear with me. Philippians, Colossians. Philippians chapter three, look at verse 20. Look what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from heaven, what are we waiting for? What does it say? A savior. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glory to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself we learned from Todd in 1 Corinthians 15 that that's what Jesus is currently doing he is he is in heaven and the goal is for him to reign until he has put everything in subjection under his feet and when he brings everything under him he then hands it over to God the father Good news, church. This is why Christians can have joy. This, this is why you can have three young women playing sports who make, make like every waking hour the thought of winning the game to lose and not be affected by it because their life and their joy isn't found in the things of this earth, in their circumstances, because they have something that's far greater than anything they could experience here on earth. So they understand that their time here and now is a platform 
to help others who are lost in darkness see the light and come in. But if you allow the struggles of the life and the cares of life to chip away at your faith and you make the decision to let go, you're letting go of the only hope of change. There is real change coming and it's coming through the power of God. He will transform your lowly body. Hold fast, Christian. Get excited. Get pumped up. Be motivated. That, that allows your suffering to be purposeful. And the reason I use the word hope there is because it's the right word. Hope is what you need. The Bible uses the word hope for the application of the times in life where you want to let go. And God's saying, no, I've given you a reason not to. I've given you a reason to push through and endure your pain, whether physical, mental, whether it's relational, whether it's just your own past that just seems to haunt you, whatever it may be, don't let go. You have a hope of change. And Jesus Christ has secured that from you, for you. Letting go of the gospel means letting go of the only way to heaven. It means letting go of the only hope of being changed. Now let's talk about the rapture for a second. Okay, excited. He says there, behold, I tell you a mystery. You shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. There's no other place in scripture where those phrases are used, moment or twinkling of an eye. It's supposed to clearly indicate a instantaneous transformation, not a progressive, but an instantaneous change that happens to both those who have died in the Lord and those who are alive in the Lord when he comes back. Think about that. There are going to be people who are alive, Christians singing the praises to God. Jesus will come back one day and they won't taste physical death. They will get to be changed. So that's what he means. We'll not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You don't have to be able to scientifically understand it. You just need to trust that God is able to do that. He's taking care of those who've died before you and he's gonna take care of you. And if you die before the Lord comes back, you'll be taken care of. The dead in Christ raise first. Uses this word trumpet. Study the word trumpet in the Bible. You'll see that it's always connected to this day of the Lord that's coming. This great, mighty day of the Lord. The book of Revelation describes it. First Thessalonians chapter four gives a little indication of it. That day is God's wrath poured out on the earth. Full, complete wrath being poured out on the world. We're not gonna get into all the how, when implications. The reality is a day is coming when the world is going to experience the wrath of God. First Thessalonians says, but you're not meant for the day of wrath. You're not meant for that day. And God will remove you from that. That wrath will not touch you. And a day where you will be taken off earth, you will meet the Lord in the air, you'll be with him forever. He will pour out his wrath on mankind and you will join him back on the earth. You will rule and reign with him. And eventually at the end of it all, he's gonna destroy everything. Everything as we know it, heavens and the earth will be burned up and he'll start a brand new one that will never ever be touched by evil or sin again and it will be forever. And I'll tell you this, the struggles and the cares that you're going through now, you keep that in mind. You think about the blip and the vapor of existence and literally those, those few seconds and moments of pleasure or as Paul said, the light momentary afflictions of this world begin to get really small and God begins to invigorate your heart with hope again to keep going. Don't let go of Christ. Don't let go of the gospel. The resurrection makes all of this true. You let go of it, you're letting go of the only hope of change, but it doesn't end there. You let go of the gospel, you're letting go of the only victory over death. You're letting go of the only victory over death. Everybody on planet earth is spending their time, energy, effort, and money in some ways trying to extend life. In some, some regards, everyone is, right? Wanting to prolong life. Our, the medicine trying to advance and our technology trying to advance to, to stop this tsunami-like uh, 
wave that busts down every wall in its path and destroys every building and takes over the life of every single person trying in some way to cure death. Has it happened yet? No. Death is coming. It is here. It is happening. And the Bible says it is appointed for man once to die. And after this comes judgment. Look what he says here in verse 54. The perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on the immortality, what? To inherit the kingdom of God. When, verse 54, when this happens, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, church? You have a savior who has defeated death. Actually, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven at the right hand of God, those who put their faith in that are guaranteed to experience this victory. The moment you die is the moment you will understand truly what Hosea and Isaiah were saying when he combines these two verses together. You you search verse 55 and you find out that Paul's thinking about something Hosea said, something Isaiah said, and he's kind of putting it together. Death is swallowed up in victory. When? When the perishable puts on the imperishable. When the flesh and blood dies, And it must die, so then now God can give you the imperishable body that can inherit the kingdom of God. And then why is that victorious? Because you'll find out, wait, the victory is this. The death that was supposed to consume me, destroy me, be culminating for me, is only the beginning for Christians. Death is the doorway. It is the bridge. It's the thing that gets you to the new body. It's now something you look forward to. And now it makes sense. Paul said, to die is gain. What, are you kidding me? Think about how that spits in the face of Satan. And the demons who know that their time's short. Satan came in, he caused us to sin. Our first parents in Romans 5 says, death spread to all men. And all have sinned, therefore all die. The wages of sin is death. This is not a good thing. And he says here, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Why is, let me explain that. Sin brings death. And the death is not just a physical one, it's death culminating body and spirit. Right? They're not separated. Body and spirit are not separated. You die physically and you're dead spiritually when you die forever. So when Satan rebelled against God, exalted himself against the Most High, he hated the image of God that God made and he wanted you to be ruined. He wanted to destroy and absolutely eradicate the image of God so he knew how to do it. If I could get them to sin, be like me, the father of lies, Jesus said. I want to become their father. And so when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees who thought that God was their father, Jesus said, you, God is not your father. You're of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. When he speaks, he speaks of his own accord and he spread his spirit into the world. And now he's the father of the world. And you know what the doom of Satan and the angels are? Some of them reserved, as Jew said, in a place called Tartarus, which is a prison waiting for their final day of judgment. He's like, I'm gonna make the image bearers of God join me in this death. And so death entered the world and death is horrible. Every person on the planet recognizes, even though it's something that happens to us, seems like it's just part of life, yet never seems to be right. Something's wrong with it. This shouldn't be the case. And so his goal was to do what with Jesus? Kill Jesus. He couldn't get Jesus to sin when he tempted the man Jesus in the wilderness. Well, I can't get him to adopt my spirit. He seems to be pretty faithful to his father. He's sticking to the words of God, his father, which Adam and Eve didn't. So I'm gonna kill him. And what did he do? worked in the hearts of those who should have been receiving him to calculate a plan to kill him and crucify him. And yes, they screamed for it. And Jesus died horrifically on a cross. 
The sky was darkened and all seemed lost. And for almost three days, the people who followed Jesus walked away defeated. Why? Because death means defeat, does it not? Oh, oh, but I think Satan totally forgot about the scripture in Genesis chapter three where he promised the woman Eve that her seed would bruise the head of the enemy and that the enemy's efforts would only bruise the hill of her seed. Who is, she, who is God talking about? Promise right back in the beginning. The Messiah, the Savior that would come, that would be wounded, but in being wounded, he would mortally wound the enemy once and for all. And on the third day, Jesus raises from the dead. The tomb is empty and he's alive and he, he's there and hundreds of people see him and the powers of darkness are squirming and they're terrified and they're like, oh no, the powerful work of God to be able to allow us to do what we want with his son. But that was the plan from the very beginning. And now he's taking the only thing we have against humans, against God's people, death, and he's made it a good thing for them. Can you believe that? It's the power of God. Spitting in the face of this devil who has no hope, who, has, who does not bear the image of God, who still, as the scripture tells us, breathing threats out against the church because he knows his time is short. Death is swallowed up in victory. We don't have to fear death. Actually, we anticipate it because we experience that victory at the moment we die. And the scripture says we don't grieve as those who have no hope, do we? Because when a loved one dies, it's painful for us because we miss them, but it's glorious in our excitement for them, knowing that we too will get to join them in like manner. The scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The sting of death is sin, but why is the power of sin the law? You know what that means? So sin brings death, but it does it through the power of the law. That's because God has a standard that's impossible for us to meet on our own. The enemy knows that. And so now the law is placed over us that if we want to try to get to heaven on our own, okay, here's what must take place. You must be as perfect as Jesus in order to get to heaven. But no one's ever gonna be as perfect as Jesus. No one's ever gonna be able to keep the law perfectly. The scripture says whoever breaks the law in one point is guilty of breaking it all. Sin means death. And the power of sin is the law because Satan's able to accuse you. He's able to use the law, go before God and said, they did what was wrong. Therefore, they need to be punished just like you punished me. But what did Jesus do to the law? The law's good, it's not going anywhere, not jot or tittle will pass away from the law, it will endure forever, we're told. The law's not bad, but what did he do? He became the human being you couldn't be and he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law and then he died as a perfect sacrifice, a lamb of God so that no longer ever, ever for the people of God is there any expectation for you to have to keep the law and prove yourself worthy to God because Jesus already did that on your behalf. You are already perfect even though you sin because Jesus is perfect. This is how he defeated the only thing the enemy has against you and the wonderful power of God to even now take death and make it a beautiful thing for the Christian. We die daily, die to ourselves. The flesh must die. Okay, you've destroyed their flesh, Satan. I'm gonna give them an even better body. How about that? I'll glorify them. I'll give them something that's even better than anything you could imagine, anything they could imagine. Actually, I'm gonna give Paul a glimpse so that when he tries to explain what heaven's like, what the glorified state is like, he says no mind can even comprehend or conjure it up. No movie, nothing, no effects, nothing could come close to what's waiting for you. Which was what would make Paul say things like, I, the present sufferings aren't even worth being compared with eternal weight of glory that's waiting for us. If you give up on the gospel, you're letting go of the only victory over death. Walk away from Jesus, you're gonna walk away to what? What are you gonna do about death? Now it's just this looming clock ticking down that you don't know when it's gonna happen, it could happen any moment. And to die in your sins means to stand before God guilty, which means now you spend an eternity in death. The enemy comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, so he wants to kill people as fast as possible before they hear the gospel, because he knows that they'll be saved from this. That's why he seems to be working very mightily in the world right now. He wants to kill you. 
God wants to save you. He wants your life to mean something. And then he wants you to trust your death in his hands when it's time. To let go of the gospel means letting go of the only victory over death. And then finally this, to let go of the gospel means letting go of the only life that matters. Look at verse 58. Jesus Christ, thanks God, he gives us this victory through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 58, therefore, I've said all this, why? Why has Paul said all this? I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to let go. Therefore, Christian, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then look, here it is, knowing that in the Lord, what in the Lord? Your whole life that is for him is not in vain. Very powerful when you think about the full culmination of scripture. You think about the book of Ecclesiastes that's dedicated to help us understand the vanity of life. There is nothing that you can do on this side of earth that will last. All is vanity and fades away. But wait, 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 wait. Then Jesus comes and then we hear that our life in him is not in vain. It means this, it never is ineffective. Your life in the Lord is eternal. The things that you do for the Lord last forever. The things that he does for you last forever. The things that you endure for him last forever. You let go of the gospel, you're letting go of the only life that matters. Let go of Jesus, where are you gonna go? You know, I think of John 6 when Jesus preaches some hard things about his flesh and his blood and he's got thousands of people who saw him miraculously feed them in a way that would only make sense if God did it right before their eyes. But then he begins to preach to them the truth of his body and his flesh. And whoever does not drink of my blood and drink of my body is not worthy to be my disciples. And people are like, who? this is a hard understanding. And it says the whole crowd left him. They just left. Thousands of people who stayed with him for days left. And then what does the scripture say? If you go and read John 6, it's like Jesus turned around. He looked at disciples and he says, do you want to leave as well? What did the disciples say? Could have been Peter, check me. I think it was Peter. He said, where are we gonna go? To who are we going to turn to? You hold the keys to eternal life. They understood it right. Life is filled with many pleasures, many cares, many sufferings. But I'd rather go through the loss of those things and the experience of those things with Jesus so that everything that I experience and endure and do for him is not in vain than to leave him, still experience all those horrible things with a horribly vexed, guilty conscience and still it mean nothing. That's perspective, right? So the enemy doesn't want you to think. He doesn't want you to think these things. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. That means you plant your feet and you're quick to remain. Steadfast, ready, and then immovable so that when the onslaught comes against you, you're not thrown back on your back. In the context of what? What you believe, what you think about, what you think's true, your faith. Are you letting the movies and the culture and the politics and the hurricane and the crazy things swirling around in the world Chip away at that? No, be steadfast, immovable in your faith, always abounding, which means more and more in what? The work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? It's a whole life dedicated for him, a whole life that aims to please him, a whole life that wants everything they do to be for the glory and the honor of their father. And God sees it all and rewards it all. And the reason you would endure this is because he's already given you a victory through Jesus Christ. You're not trying to earn it. You're simply responding to an overwhelming love that was poured out on your behalf. Isn't this good? Oh. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Christian, hold fast. The resurrection of Christ makes all of this true. It makes it all matter. The resurrection matters because it means that your life matters. And if the resurrection wasn't true, then none of it would matter. But like Jesus says, indeed, Christ has risen from the dead.
This is absolutely true. Where are you at? Who, who here is seeing themselves as the person hanging on by a thread? You don't have to, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm just wanting you to think. I want you to hear the encouragement. I, I want you to hear the words of scripture encouraging and filling your heart with hope to abound. Do not give up. And Christian who's zealous for the Lord, keep going with humility, knowing that life is filled with many moments when you may want to give up. And you remember 1 Corinthians 15. You remember the victory that you have through the Lord. You remember the hope and the way to heaven and everything that God's given you. And you go out in this world with the power of God and you share that with everyone in your life and not be afraid. You just trust God. God, use me. Here I am. I don't know how or when, but you'll do it. Use me to help save others. And he will. I promise you, he will. And when we get together, while we're still on earth, we bubble up, as the psalmist says, with praise for him. We sing to him a new song. We erupt in excitement and joy for this time now because forevermore is coming. And so our time here on earth, God is telling his people, shout, praise, lift a holy hand. Praise me because you have a reason to be excited right here and now, regardless of anything going on in your life. Christ is risen. Let's wait for our Savior with a joy. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father who has saved us through His Son, who has given us hope, would you abound that in our hearts? Would you strengthen us? Would you keep us, as the psalmist says, the keeper of Israel, our, our, our going forth and our coming in? Would you keep our feet steady? And when our grip is loosening, we'd look up and see that you're holding on to us. When we sink, just minutes after walking on the water, your hand reaching down to save us and to keep us in your light. I pray for the one that's maybe contemplating giving up, whatever that looks like for them. God, fill their heart with hope and remove the evil one far from us. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name.